to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I want you to get up right now. Get up, go to your windows, open them, and stick your head out and yell. You can't fight in here, this is the war room. Open the pod bay door. The devil ever was convinced. Personally, Fight Club is. I award you no point. I talk about Fight Club. And may God have mercy on your soul. Hello, everyone. Episode 24 of the Negs Best Film Podcast. I'm your host, Matty Negs. And today, we are revisiting the Bourne series. No longer the Bourne trilogy. I mean, Bourne Legacy came out. But now we've got Matt Damon back with Jason Bourne. It's not called the Bourne something. It's just... Jason Bourne. Paul Greengrass is back directing this film as well, but today, first time ever on the Next Best Film Podcast, I have with me Keith from KeithLovesMovies.com. Keith, what is up today, man? Oh, nothing much. Uh, how are you? I'm doing pretty splendid. It's a nice, nice day today on this uh, Friday over here in New York. I understand you're in Toronto, is uh, it? Ottawa. Ottawa, gotcha. So that's nice pretty day cool. as well, so... Nice. Not not chilly up there. A little a little warm, but it's it's summer, so you know. Yeah, you do what you can, right? Exactly. In any event, here has there been anything that you've been catching up on in the last week or so, either on television or in film, that is not Jason Bourne? Well, you know, you just, you see movies whenever you can. Uh, Jason Bourne, I I think it, yeah, it's hundred and fifth movie I've seen. What? I know. I, I just go any I just go anytime I can, you know. That's amazing. So, uh, you know, I mean, what was the 104th, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I believe it was uh, Ice Age. Collision. Okay. How the hell was that? Uh, pretty dated. You know, it's just uh, cranking them out because uh, people, will, people will see them. Movie doesn't have to be good to make money, you know? I know, but that's a sad thought, isn't it? Yeah. And that's how um, I feel about Jason Bourne, which I will get into, believe me momentarily speaking uh but for me i actually went back and i rewatched the born trilogy this week i watched born identity the born supremacy and the born ultimatum and i have to say damn fine good trilogy all around those movies hold up extremely well and they are very very good and they tell a very complete story of this guy that's trying to discover um the details surrounding his mysterious past put his life back together I'm really, really into what Matt Damon has done with the character all the way through and how it's kind of like um, a very serious, take-no-bullshit kind of uh, character exploration with the Jason Bourne character. Like this, There's not really that much humor, so to speak, within this series. It's just a lot of fun watching Jason Bourne outsmart his enemies, and that's what you get a lot of in those three films. And you definitely see, in my opinion, an uptick in the series with Paul Greengrass taking the helm with Born Supremacy. Uh, I actually, I know a lot of people are very fond of the Born Ultimatum, but Born Supremacy to me is probably my favorite one overall. I think. Which one do you prefer the most of the original three? Uh, yeah, Born, uh, Born Supremacy. When you really think about it, I guess. Yeah. Well, well why, why for you? Would you say? Let's see, uh, action is pretty, pretty good in that one. Uh, the climax of everything. Yeah, I agree. The chase scene through, uh, what was it, Moscow, and then ending with that scene where he goes and visits the girl uh, whose parents he killed in Berlin, 
and he basically tells her what happened to her parents. That's a very heart-wrenching scene that, quite honestly, I think is pretty well done overall and really helps to give the film a heightened sense of emotion to it. I mean, it already has that with the killing of Marie in the first uh, part of the film. And so as a result, the film is just layered with this feeling that Bourne is taking things personally this time around. And I really, really think that that passion really helps drive the movie forward a lot more. Yeah, just the smart humanity. He's less of a killing machine, he's more of a person. Well, I kind of feel like he always was one because, you know, when we meet him in the first film, he wakes up not knowing exactly who he was, what he's been doing. He's got, you know, amnesia, essentially. So it, we, we kind of already get that sense, I feel like, through the series. I just think it gets even heightened even more so uh, by the time you reach that second film. Third film really does, in my opinion, uh, properly conclude the trilogy as far as the mystery and the answers behind his identity and, every, and bringing down... Um, the people that were responsible. So I thought they ended it on a very nice note while leaving the opportunity for them to return to the series if need be. And sure enough, nine years later, here we are. It's pretty incredible when you think about it. Literally nine years it has been. Yeah, it's uh, hard to believe so many other uh, action series have come gone in that time. I know. We've seen a lot of things happen. I mean, we've seen, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that plays Bond, right? Daniel Craig. Yeah. We've seen him pretty much take the reins with that series and very much in many ways, like the Bourne series, kind of take the character of Bond and really make him uh, a very much more, what's the word I'm looking for here? Serious, updated, modern version of an action hero. Yeah, kind of a soft reboot of the series. Right, and I feel like in many ways, Bourne was kind of like the answer to cheesy Bond. You know, it was like, we didn't want to, we didn't want to see uh, a Bond that we didn't take seriously, but Jason Bourne is that assassin, that dangerous high level assassin that um, we could take very, very seriously. And that was pretty cool to see back when it came around and, 2002, and I, I mean, really, realistically, when you think about it, the the whole trilogy really peaked with Born Ultimatum. I mean, three Academy Award wins for editing, sound editing, and sound mixing, uh, highest box office gross, highest box office opening weekend for Matt Damon at the time. It, it definitely was the the peak right there, and it happened right after uh, Casino Royale, or at least it was was it the same year as Casino Royale? Now that I think about it, 2007. I think it was the same year, actually. Yeah, so something like that. It, it, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible that all that kind of coincided with each other. And over the last nine years or so, uh, we've seen Bond films really, really start to kind of take what I'm sure they picked up from Jason Bourne and they ran with it in more of their sequels. And now, like I was saying before, here we are at this point with uh, Jason Bourne. So the question now becomes. Is this film, Jason Bourne, worth it? I know who I am. When we are finished with you, you'll no longer be yourself. I remember. I remember everything. Remembering everything doesn't mean you know everything. Tell me. 
have just been hacked. Could be worse than Snowden. Facial recognition got a hit. Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne. Why would it come back now? There's a demonstration in front of the Greek Parliament building. I think she'll use it as cover. They tracked you. We gotta move. He knows things. What if he's not coming for us? What if it's something else? I volunteered because of a lie. This is Jason Bourne. I need to talk. 32 kills. People are safer because of what you did. Okay, so Jason Bourne is the 2016 sequel to The Bourne Ultimatum, once again directed by Paul Greengrass, starring Matt Damon, Tommy Lee Jones, Alicia Vikander, Vincent Castle, and Julia Stiles. The story for Jason Bourne is the most dangerous former operative of the CIA is drawn out of hiding to uncover hidden truths about his past. So... With that said, Keith, what did you think of Jason Bourne? It was a good, yeah, it was just, you're like, where where can they go with this after the nine years? But character still interesting, kind of still interesting. Uh, going, uh, taking a further look into his past. Well, okay, so I mean, like, here's the thing about the interesting aspect that you're bringing up here. I mean, quite honestly, is it really that interesting? Did we really, really need this sequel? Was it wholly necessary to continue the story at this point? Nine years later, uh, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I w- I w- I'm right with you on that one. It's not necessary because I don't think people really care that much. Like, where's the payoff? You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in terms of you're giving us another movie where it felt like everything, like I said earlier, really culminated in the Born Ultimatum. And you just get the sense that they just made the movie for the sake of making the movie. There's no real artistry here. There's no real high stakes. It feels like they made it simply for the sake of just making it. Yeah, maybe just to do another useless series. (laughs) And so Matt Damon, he starts off, you know, the film, he's pretty much, um, you know, fighting his way through life, essentially, for money. Yeah, doing his his own thing. Right, and he's just getting into these fist fights with... uh, random people over in where is it greece i think they are at the time yeah greece greece and albania I think. right so it's like he's really pretty much going nowhere julia styles is the one that like kind of reignites the movie and gets the plot rolling with uh hacking these cia secret files on treadstone blackbriar and another code name that honestly i can't even remember what the heck it was called iron hand there you go it doesn't really matter it's like 
I thought we were beyond all of this. And, you know, I, I said to myself when I went to go see this film that I wasn't going to go in with the biasness of we really did not need a Bourne sequel. We really did not need a Bourne sequel. But after watching the movie now and seeing it for what it is, all I kept thinking to myself was we really did not need a Bourne sequel. It just feels wholly unnecessary. And the whole uh, father figure angle with uh, Jason Bourne trying to, you know, get revenge for the death of his father and how that that was the catalyst event that triggered him to want to volunteer for the program to begin with. Come on. It just feels very forced and very just thrown in there without any amount of necessary care, ultimately. And I think a lot of that has to do with uh, this story not being written by Tony Gilroy, who wrote the other three films. Instead, this one is written by Paul Greengrass and Christopher Rouse, who is also the film's editor. He's the one who won the Oscar for editing uh, for The Bourne Ultimatum. And so I, I feel like this film has more cliched lines of dialogue. It doesn't feel as smart. And it's definitely not fun. I, I, I never got a sense of fun while watching this movie. There's like no sense of humor in this movie whatsoever. Yeah, it's a lot of seriousness for uh, kind of forced a little bit to uh, trying to recreate what the born the, the previous born movies did, but it it just didn't work this time. Yeah, no, it really doesn't work. I mean, let, let's talk about other things that don't work. I mean, you got uh, Alicia Vikander whose accent is really all over the place in this film. I I can never tell if she's supposed to be that wholly convincing or not as a, you know, as, as an American, but it just doesn't, it, do, it doesn't work, period. Yeah, she was okay, but there wasn't really much to her character other than, like, the other voice on the phone and the, so, the support character. There wasn't really much development. Beyond, besides Bourne, there wasn't really much of the movie uh, plot-wise or subplots or whatever. Yeah, well, the film copies the plot of the last film, uh, in that the CIA thinks Bourne wants to expose them or hurt them. Yeah. When really all he wants is just the classified information so that he can get his own inner peace. Yeah. It's the same exact plot as the other films. It, it's carbon copy. And what kills me is that you've got Tommy Lee Jones, who's playing the uh, you know cranky white old guy in the CIA yeah. that is trying to hide everything. And it's always it's always cranky white old men all the time, I always find. You know, where's where's like the female villain that orchestrated all of this, you know, or something along those lines. But either way, he's trying to hide the secret of the program and he'll kill people to keep it a secret. And like I said, it's exactly the same storyline as the other films. So we're getting more of the same too much too much later than we last left off. And after the last film uh, with Ultimatum, forget about Legacy. To me, that film doesn't exist. But yeah, I've never seen it because it's because it wasn't Damon. So what's the point? Exactly. And with Ultimatum, uh, you know, really capping off the trilogy the best that it possibly could. This feels like it's trying to cap it off again. But then on top of that, they add more insult to injury by leaving it open. For yet another sequel, potentially. Well, yeah, the this movie was supposed to be a, a, a crossover between uh, Jerry and Reiner's Aaron Cross and uh, Jason Mad Damon's Jason Bourne. This that was what this movie was originally supposed to be. Yeah. So after three films initially, with everyone in those three films, you know, getting killed, literally like everybody that you know Bourne knows. Yeah. And now he knows everything about his past. There's still story left to tell, but yet there 
really doesn't feel like there is. I uh, like I, you know, and the other thing that kills me too about this is, uh, you know, as I'm watching this movie. Uh, and, you know, I, like I was saying before, the plot line repeats itself over the course of now, at this point, what is ultimately four movies. And all I kept asking myself this time around was, how many innocent people need to die because cranky old white men uh, did something that was morally wrong? Yes. And they're trying to cover their tracks. Like, look at how many innocent people get killed in this movie alone by Vincent Castle's character. There's no real accountability here. No, there totally isn't. And I don't really feel like the series is... Uh, in that gritty real world setting anymore as a result it just feels like every other dumb action movie that is out there yeah because there's been so many other movies that kind of follow within the same vein since then and it's hard to hard to compare and you know there's another thing that also annoyed the hell out of me in regards to the ending uh that had to do with jason bourne uh, making a decision in regards to Vincent Castle's character, which I won't get into here, yeah. that, in my opinion, completely betrays his character that they so expertly set up in the other three films and his code of ethics. And I just didn't feel that the motivations that led him to this moment were earned, necessary, or even satisfying. Yeah. So... I think the action set pieces are good. I think the riot action set piece in Greece is complicated and very well executed. I think that the set piece in Las Vegas is a lot of fun. I I, I keep asking myself, how did he get to top their car chase scenes uh, after each film? But they somehow managed to do it. The car chase, the, the Vegas car chase is my favorite part of this movie. Yeah, and then you're seeing somebody like, um, like Riz Ahmed who he was a Nightcrawler. He's now on The Night Of, on HBO. That's a good show. That's a phenomenal show. Yeah. Really phenomenal. Yeah. And to see him here in this film, in a small small role, but, I mean, he's pulling off uh, an American accent very convincingly. It's like, come on, Alicia Vikander, you could do an American accent. Look at Riz Ahmed. He, he's doing it. You know, it's not that difficult. But either way, it, it just feels very much like this film has one too many problems and I don't see where the passion was to bring this back. I, you know, the reason why Bourne, uh, not Bourne, the reason why Damon didn't want to do the Bourne legacy was because Paul Greengrass wasn't coming back. And the reason why Paul Greengrass wasn't coming back was because they said they wanted a story that was worth telling. How was this story worth telling? Can't really answer that question. <laughs> so... Let's toss it off to final thoughts and grades here. Keith, what would what, what's your final thoughts on Jason Bourne, and what grade would you give it? Well, Damon's still a compelling character. He, he still has it after the nine years with the with the action and the spy stuff, and that was kind of captivating enough. Uh, the rest of the movie is not really much uh, to the movie besides him. Uh, uh, in terms of a grade, uh, maybe like a C. Okay, yeah. That sounds that sounds about fair, I suppose. I mean, for me, I, I'm going back and forth here on my on my grading. I, but I mean, realistically, I I rate out of five stars. Um, so I would give the film personally. I would say probably uh two stars. Okay, that sounds about right. Uh, mostly for Damon and his commitment to the role, even as he's getting close to fifty years old, and also. Oh, really? Yeah, he's 45 years old, man. I had, I had no idea. Yeah, he's aging gracefully. I, I have to give him that. He really is. Yeah, he looks the same. Like, he's looked for the last, like, 10, 15 years. And the action set pieces are definitely a lot of fun. And the film never really feels 
boring, but I can totally see how somebody would watch this and think that it is because the stakes, the thorough line that runs through this entire film that's supposed to compel the action forward is just simply not there. It doesn't have that sense of feeling to it. You know, if anything, they should have called this movie The Born Vendetta because it seems like everybody's got a vendetta in this movie. Uh, you know, Vincent Castle against Jason Bourne yeah. or Bourne against uh, Castle and uh, Tommy Lee Jones. And so it's like, that's another thing that like kind of like bothers me is like, why why they have to call it Jason Bourne? And I, I know I keep bringing this up a lot, but there's something that really, really has bothered me while watching the movie. And after I've seen the movie too, I, I failed to see why it was called that. Um, Last thing I will say on the movie, though, here is that the ending credits song uh, by Moby, I think it's called Extreme Ways. I still love that song, and I love that they find a way to still work it into the end credits with each film in the series. It's such a joy for me to hear each time the movie ends, and I I just love the note that it leaves the films on every single time, even if I don't think the film is particularly good like this one and also like... The Born Legacy. So that will conclude our take on the newest film in the Born series called Jason Born. But now we're going to do a little bit of a countdown here. We are going to count down our top three favorite Matt Damon performances. Okay, I'm counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, ten. You got it straight, man? Everything okay? Everything's fine. So top three favorite Matt Damon performances. This here is our countdown for today's episode. Keith, let's start off with you. Which performance of Matt Damon's do you have in your number three spot? Well, just any of the previous Jason Bourne performances, I would say. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? So you would say his performance is Jason Bourne? Yeah. And uh, it doesn't matter which film, ultimately. Well, they're pretty similar, but maybe it's just the character's a little more developed as the series went on. I agree with that. I think his performance in the first one is probably my favorite overall because he has to play the confusion more so than anything. Yeah. Uh, Where in the other two films, he's definitely more assured of himself and he's less... um, disoriented and a lot less confused it feels very much it reminds me a lot of of uh, memento when i watched the first film in many ways um of a guy that's very very confused about where where he is what he's doing what memories from his past are influencing him now and so 
I, I would say Born Identity is probably my favorite performance of his of the three. But uh, you're, you're right, though, to select the uh, entire trilogy as a whole. And I guess now with this new film on top of that. Yeah, you can't really single out one performance over another. So. Well, that's what we're going to have to do for our top three. So I would say for me, uh, you know, heading over to my number three, uh, um, I, you know, Matt Damon is an actor who has, in my opinion, gotten not necessarily better he's always just been consistent and my reason for saying that is because this is an early performance of his that i quite love and that is his performance in goodwill hunting as will hunting agrarian pre-capital right. of course that's your Hang on a you're a first year grad student you just got finished reading some moxie and historian pete garrison probably you're gonna be convinced of that till next month when you get to james lemon then you're gonna be talking about how the economies of virginia and pennsylvania were entrepreneurial and capitalist way back in 1740 that's gonna last until next year you're gonna be in here regurgitating gordon wood talking about you know the pre-revolutionary utopia and the capital forming effects of military mobilization as a matter of fact, I won't because Wood drastically underestimates the impact Wood of social Wood drastically underestimates the impact of social distinctions predicated upon wealth, especially inherited wealth. You got that from Vickers. Work in Essex County, page 98, right? Yeah, I read that too. Were you going to plagiarize the whole thing for us? Do you have any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? Or do you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own... As your own idea, just to impress some girls, embarrass my friend. See, the sad thing about a guy like you is in 50 years, you're going to start doing some thinking on your own, and you're going to come up with the fact that there are two certainties in life. One, don't do that. And two, you dropped 150 grand on a fucking education you could have got for a dollar fifty in late charges at the public library. <laughs> yeah, but I will have a degree, and you'll be serving my kids fries at a drive-thru on our way to a skiing trip. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but at least I won't be unoriginal. But, I mean, if you have a problem like that, I mean, we could just step outside. We could figure it out. He plays uh, a, a troubled uh, young man who happens to be a genius, and he's got a very dark upbringing and a dark past. And his raw emotion in this film, his uh, once again, his anger, his confusion, his denial. You know, for such a young man at the time, he was able to convey so much emotion through his performance that it's really a, quite an achievement for any actor, really, to portray the character the way that he did. But uh, I got to give it to that film. It's also one of my favorite films to just continuously go back and rewatch. I watched the uh, park bench scene this morning. Oh, did you? Yeah, Robin. I just miss Robin Williams. Oh, who doesn't, man? Robin Williams was such a national treasure. Yeah. All right, so what do you have in uh, number two? Can I pick Goodwill Hunting too? No, you did not have Goodwill Hunting in there. I was thinking of that one. Do you really? Yes. Yeah, dude. Oh, some overlaps, okay? So you picked Goodwill Hunting, you're number two. No, you're not going. You're not leaving. What do you want to know? What? That I don't have 12 brothers? Yeah. That I'm a fucking orphan? Yeah. No, you don't want to hear I that. I didn't know no, that. No, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear that I got it. fucking cigarettes put out of me when I was a little kid. I didn't know that. this that. isn't fucking surgery, that the motherfucker stabbed me. You, you don't want to hear that shit, Skylar. I don't, do want to hear Don't tell that. me you want to hear that I shit. I want to hear it because I want to help you, because I help want to be with you. Help me? What the fuck? What do I got? A fucking sign on my back that says save no. me? Do I look like I need that? No, God, I just want to be with don't you because bullshit. I love you. Don't bullshit me. Don't you fucking bullshit me. All right. That's cool. Do you have anything else to add to his performance in that film? Yeah, no, just going back to the park bench scene I saw that I was watching this morning, just, uh, Robin Williams with that uh, nice uh, four, 
four or five minute speech and just uh Matt Damon just his facial expressions is just sitting there and uh, he's, he's just getting destroyed I mean that scene where you know um, where Sean confronts him towards the end yeah. you want to talk about getting destroyed and he tells him it's not your fault what's in this file and he just keeps repeating it to him over and over it's not your fault and then he emotionally breaks down finally lets out all the pent up emotion I mean that scene and then the scene he has with um, uh, with Mini uh, Mini Driver where he's like, don't bullshit me. And he's like pounding the wall. He's like bugging out. Yes. It's just so, so raw. It's so realistic. It's got a range there. Yeah. He, he, I mean, how old was the, was the guy when he did this? I, I, I mean, this is 1997. So he was only 27 years old uh, when he did this performance. That, that, I mean, psh, guy was so ridiculously talented. Still is. And this. And the script he wrote with Ben Affleck, you know, that won the Oscar, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's pretty amazing, too, to be 27 years old, win your first Academy Award with your best friend. His only Academy Award at this point. I don't think he's ever... No, no, he's has, he hasn't won another ever since uh, then. He's been nominated quite a few times, but... Yeah, Robin Willi- uh, Matt Damon was almost in a Dead Poet Society, too. Oh, really? What, was he going to play uh, Even Hawk's character, or...? Uh, there was just a, a short little interview on uh, Entertainment Weekly about he about the roles that he uh, didn't get. Oh, jeez. So it's not that he turned it down. He didn't get them. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't get it. He was working in a movie theater with Ben Affleck, and they had, they had to show Dead Poet Society, like, all summer. Mm-hmm. So it's just a constant reminder of the role he could have had. That's amazing. So for me, uh, going to a number two performance, it's actually his uh, one of his more most recent ones, and that was last year's film, The Martian. Right. Let's do the math. Our service mission here was supposed to last 31 souls. For redundancy, they sent 68 souls worth of food. That's for six people. So for just me, that's going to last 300 souls, which I figure I can stretch to 400 if I ration. So I got to figure out a way to grow three years worth of food here on a planet where nothing grows. Luckily, I'm a botanist. Mars will come to fear my botany powers. The reason why I love this performance by Damon so much is because it highlights all the qualities that we like about Damon. We like that he when he that he is an everyman and portrays himself as such. He's he's never really struck me as like that kind of celebrity that was um, really full of himself and really uh, acted like above it. And he wasn't and he was never really necessarily quote unquote too pretty that guys could be like jealous of him and hate on him. I never got that impression. No, not at all. And I always feel that he. Uh, also had just a great sense of humor about him as well. I mean, look at his feud with Jimmy Kimmel throughout all these years. The guy's got a great sense of humor. Yeah, some funny videos about the uh, second video with uh, Kimmel and uh, Damon uh, going to a uh, couples therapy. Oh, yeah, that just debuted the other day, right? Yeah, well, they just broke character at the end where they had to draw pictures of each other and uh, and Kimmel uh, drew a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and they, just, they just went crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, like, we'll just end it here. Obvious reasons. So uh, I think with The Martian, I think that it highlights all of Damon's best qualities as an actor. The drama, the humor, the relatability, and the truthful honesty that he brings to his roles as well. I mean, being stranded alone um, on this planet and having to pretty much act for the camera, which is what he does for a majority of the film. I know a lot of people didn't think it was necessarily... um, 
a, a, a great performance, like an achievement. But as far as like just likability, this is not to me, um, you know, an objective list. This is more a subjective list than anything. Yeah. I, I I really love his performance in The Martian, and it is what and it is what will keep me coming back to that film uh, for many years to come. I'm sure. So before you unveil your number one spot, Keith, uh, what were some films of yours do you want to acknowledge that aren't in your top three for Damon, but yet you, uh, you know, just want to, you know, just make mention that you think he's pretty good in those? Well, you know, there's a talented Mr. Ripley. That was one. Oh, yeah. I, I don't, I'm, you know, I know a lot of people that love that movie, like really, really like adore it. I could not get into that movie. I really couldn't. And but I think but I do acknowledge that Damon is pretty fantastic in it, though, regardless. Anything else? Maybe yeah, Saving Private Ryan is as a smaller smaller role, but uh, it was still memorable. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan is a film where he makes a very large impact. I feel, um, especially that monologue scene that he has with uh, Tom Hanks, where he's talking about the last night that he and his brothers spent together before they all went to off to war together. It doesn't make any sense, sir. Why? Why me? Why do I deserve to go? Why not any of these guys? They all fought just as hard as me. Is that what they're supposed to tell your mother when they send her another folded American flag? Tell her that when you found me, I was here, and I was with the only brothers that I have left, and that there's no way I was going to desert them. I think she'll understand that. There's no way I'm leaving this bitch. That's a very, very endearing scene for sure. Um, all right, so number one, what do you got? Yeah, I got to go with The Martian too. It's my uh, one of my uh, top five movies of last year. It's because uh, you're you're talking about him being uh, likable and relatable. Because Martian's a long movie, and and that could uh, tear away at some people. But uh, Matt Damon is just so likable and fun to watch that you don't don't you don't even. I've been mind that the movie's so long. Uh, it goes by so quickly because you're, because you're Matt, Matt Damon's captivating uh, performance, and you kind of wish it was kind of wish it went by long. It was longer. Just the just the range of the the comedy, the the drama, and the and everything. Yeah. So for me, I, I got to say, in terms of looking at it from a standpoint of runners up. I mean, there's so many great performances he's given. Uh, yeah, Matt Damon's never. I don't think I can't even think of a bad Matt Damon. Movie. Oh, I can. Uh, Hereafter comes to mind with Clint Eastwood, definitely. Uh, I heard stu- Stuck on You, the one with uh, Greg Kinnear. We Bought a Zoo, I-, I wasn't particularly a fan of. Elysium is quite a mess. So, yeah, no, there, there's... Uh, how about the Monuments, man? I-, I could definitely think of a couple, for sure. But as far as his good performances, that didn't quite make my own personal favorite list of, of uh, his. Contagion, uh, I would put on there true grit which is one that a lot of people don't seem to remember from time to time but he is so funny in that yeah the coen brothers remake yep. he's hysterical in that movie absolutely hysterical i would also throw in there um uh the work that he did in the oceans uh series as well i'm uh, pretty fond of i'm pretty fond of those of those movies i, I really really think they have just an aura of coolness to them you know that just makes them uh, irresistible in many ways but for me number one is martin scorsese's film the departed hey, 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 put the fucking gun down put the gun put the gun down all right i came here to talk some sense into you. all right just act professional 
I can get you your money. What Just did you say? I can get you your money. You didn't come here to talk, right? You came here to get arrested. You got fucking tapes of what? Costello was my informant. I was a rat. Fuck you. Prove it. He was working for me. He was my informant. Shut your fucking mouth. Come on. Get up. Well, what is this? A citizen's arrest? Blow me. All right, only one of us is a cop here, Bill. You understand that, Bill? No one knows who Would you're you fucking shut up. the fuck up? I'm a sergeant in the Massachusetts State Police. Who the fuck are you? I erased you. I love this movie. Love it absolutely love and adore it and matt damon in this i think gives probably one of his most layered complex and one of the most fascinating portrayals that he's ever given of a crooked cop who is got these fatherly ties to jack nicholson's character and doesn't want to necessarily betray him but as his career is skyrocketing on the inside you see that you know he wants to get out and he's torn between that and it's all about where his loyalties lie um i love that even though he does break away from nicholson at some point in the film everything just still comes right back around to him regardless of that yeah mark Wahlberg was good in there too you know a lot of people praise mark Wahlberg for this movie but i don't think Wahlberg was anything really truly special i think it really the film really did belong to dicaprio and damon here and rightfully so, if anything. Um, also, think about this, too, from a standpoint. How many times has Matt Damon played a villain in a movie? Uh, Interstellar? Uh, uh, oh, good good, good call. I actually f- forgot about that. But not many was my real my real point here. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right, though. In Interstellar, uh, his perf- his performance and his... Uh, spoiler uh, alert. I, I yeah, I don't want to call it... Well, it's not really a spoiler, I don't think, at this point, now that the film's been released for about two years now. But I guess... I mean, he shows up as like almost like an extended cameo, and it's a lot of fun, and it definitely helps to highlight the movie. Yeah, the metaphor is kind of obvious. Yeah, but I think I it, looking back at it in the grand scheme of things, I did I did find it a little distracting. Yeah, I guess you could say that Matt Damon would have this extended cameo performance. You're more like, oh my god, it's Matt Damon, <laughs> more than uh, the character. And then uh, I, we have to let it off with uh, we have to let it off with this. You've seen Team America: World Police, right? Of course. Give me your best, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. They might. We might as well call this uh, episode the Matt Damon podcast because that's all we're doing right now is we're highlighting the career, the work of one Matt Damon. So, with that said, though, uh, that pretty much concludes this episode of the Next Best Film podcast. Keith, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? My website uh, is keithlovesmovies.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Keith Love Movies, and on Facebook. All right, so that's going to conclude episode 24 of the Neg's Best Film Podcast. Uh, Just a little quick note here. I will be away on vacation next week. I am going away to the Bahamas. So my review of Suicide Squad and the subsequent uh, podcast episode will be a couple of days delayed. Yes, I am very sorry to report this, but it is what it is, unfortunately, at this time. And 
I do run the site by myself. What are you going to do? I, I try to do the best that I can. So there are some really cool things, though, on the horizon for nextbestthing.com, including a name change, a rebranding, a new look, and a new focus. So I'm hard at work on that. Please stay tuned for more updates as they come. That'll just about do it here. I am Maddie Negs. You can find me on negsbesting.com or on the Twitter at negsbesting. I will speak to you next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.